the butcher, the banker, the drummer, and then makes no difference about the group I'm in. I'm everyday people, proclaims flying the family stones, everyday people. A song released 48 years ago that still has relevance today because of the divisions that keep us apart. But we here at Solutions of Balance and our guest today, Charles Booker, view the situation the same way Sly and the Family Stone saw it so many years ago. No matter what group you come from, we can work together because we all have the same basic needs. Hello folks, we are Solutions of Balance. We're happy you can join us today. You're listening to Forward Radio, WFMP, LP 106.5 FM. Solutions of Balance is a program of and sponsored by Forward Radio. Forward Radio is an affiliate of the Liberal Fellowship of Reconciliation. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you can do so by emailing us at solutionsofbalance18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Today's Solutions of Balance program is a recording of a virtual third Thursday lunch event. The third Thursday lunch event is being sponsored by the Liberal Fellowship of Reconciliation and Source of Justice. The third Thursday lunch event will take place before a virtual Zoom audience of about 150 plus people. The keynote speaker for the April 15th third Thursday lunch event is Charles Booker, former Kentucky State Legislature who has recently announced his candidacy for the U.S. Senate from the state of Kentucky. Barbara Boyd for Source of Justice will introduce Charles Booker. Hello, everybody. My name is Barbara Boyd, and it's my pleasure to introduce Charles Booker, uh, who is our guest speaker today. Charles Booker is founder and president of Hood to the Holler, a grassroots advocacy and organizing project focused on bringing people together and empowering Kentuckians to make government work for all of us. Growing up in the poorest zip code in Kentucky, Charles Booker experienced the struggles other politicians talk about, whether it's rationing insulin, going hungry, seeing family members killed by gun violence, or even being homeless himself. Those experiences have guided his deep belief in the need for a government that works for everyone, no matter how much money they have in the bank or the color of their skin. Uh, Mr. Booker attended college and law school and soon afterwards became the youngest black man in the Kentucky State House in more than 90 years. As a legislator, uh, Representative Booker fought for the people's common sense gun safety reform lower prescription drug prices, um, expanded voting rights, stronger labor unions uh, for racial justice. Holding those same values, Charles launched an unlikely campaign for the U.S. Senate in the 2020 Kentucky Democratic primary against the entire weight of Washington, of the Washington establishment where his inclusive message and authenticity resonated with Kentuckians across the Commonwealth. After a narrow loss, Representative Booker founded Hood to the Holler, a grassroots organization to build 
on the values that have animated his whole life and um, has broken down barriers between Kentuckians and their government. The organization is now working to restore voting rights, register voters, advocate for legislation, and train a new generation of value-driven campaign staffers. He's married to Tanisha and has two wonderful daughters, Kaylin and Preston. And I understand that uh, Miss Justice is going to uh, be gracing us with her presence in the next few months. And it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Charles Booker. But before I do that, I want to let you know that uh, this presentation is sponsored by the uh, Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation and Source of Justice. And Beverly Mormon, Mormon will be uh, giving closing remarks afterwards. So be sure to hang in there uh, so that you could hear those important remarks. Let's ask Beverly to make her announcement and maybe she'll do a summation at the end. Okay. And while we're waiting on Beverly, um, I want to let you know that um, if you have not heard about ASALA, which is the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, um, there's a wonderful program that the West End Boys School is going to be adopting, and that is Black History 365. So stay tuned because that promises to bring a lot of important uh, history about African-American life and culture to our students. Uh, we've got about two minutes. Folks, I'm Beverly Marmion. I'm a member of the steering committee of the Fellowship of Reconciliation here in Louisville. And uh, the FOR has been sponsoring our series of third Thursday lunches for about 25 years now. And we have always wanted to focus on justice and injustice, not only locally, nationally, but around the world as part of our programs. We've sought to um, expose little known facts about situations uh, and uh, in-depth interviews with individual speakers who had been part of the problems that they described so graphically. Uh, obviously the pandemic hit us and everybody else with our lockdowns and our inabilities to get together. And so our full series of programs in, beginning in September of 2020 was canceled totally. But as the year went on and the fact that Louisville in particular with the violent deaths of George Floyd in Minneapolis and with the violent death of our own Breonna Taylor here in Louisville, we knew that our programs should focus, should we get back to doing something about it, focus on our unique situation historically where we live uh, in terms of racial injustice and what could be done to bring about racial justice. So. Our committee of four people has been expanded to at least 10 or 12 of enthusiastic members of Source of Justice and the FOR 
to get us up and Zooming for you. And so we started in January with a series of deliberately four uh, programs featuring African-American speakers, uh, experts, longtime residents of Louisville to tell us from their points of view what needed to be done to speak to our local national situation of racial injustice across more than 100 years. And so I feel like uh, our speakers have been in the positions of those clergymen who spoke to General Sherman in Charleston when he asked them what, uh, what they wanted with their newfound freedoms and their new abilities to participate in the life of the United States. And we have had speakers, our four speakers, including our upcoming speaker today, Charles Booker, is speaking to us in the voices of those Black clergymen in Charleston who were telling General Sherman what they needed and what they thought would bring them gradually into a situation of equality with white Americans. So we have heard them. We've heard their cries, their passionate cries, reflecting the injustice they've all suffered. And we have also heard about their prescriptions for all of us as individuals and organizations to come through this historical moment in time and turn our attention to righting the wrongs that have been inflicted on our African-American fellow citizens. So that's what our programs have been. Now, we're facing here our last program. Traditionally, it's always been the last program in April, and we're going to take our usual time off in the summer. We don't know yet whether we'll be Zooming in September when we pick up again, or whether we'll be back face-to-face -face and side-to-side -side with our lunches at Hotel Louisville. We'll not be able to make that decision until sometime in August, but please mark September 16th, 2021 on your calendars right now, because that is when we'll be gathering, whether Zooming or lunching with our programs for the fall of 2021. We're going to continue the conversations we've started here in the spring, but we are also going to, of course, return to many of our traditional subjects, which include international issues, but we will be back on September the 16th with you. So be sure to be with us then in the next look on your FOR webpages and your Source of Justice webpages for the names of all the people who have been contributed to our abilities to Zoom with you. And for now, I'm going to go back to Barbara Boyd. All right. Is Charles with us? Carl, do you know? I don't see him on the Oh, there he is. Hey, uh, Charles, thank you. I made a uh, little announcement about justice because we can't wait to see her. And uh, you got a baby right here. If you need one. I'll, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> okay. But now we'll turn it over to you. We've already given your bio and thank you so much. Well, thank you, Miss Barbara. It's good to see you. And uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I just hopped on. So I just got off of another interview and I'm really excited to spend some time with you all uh, over this lunch hour talking about something that's really important to all of us. We are all in this fight for justice. We are all in this fight for healing, for true peace and for equity and, you know, in our community, but for our entire Commonwealth and for the country, for the world. 
you know, and I come into this space with you all really, really humbled and, and weighed down in a, a very reverent sense about the times that we're in and uh, what it requires of us. And I, I appreciate you all giving some love to my, my family on our expecting baby, baby justice. I realized that she would be coming into a world that still has challenges and may not see the full length and full breadth of her brilliance and potential because she is going to look like me and her mom. And uh, I wanted to ask my wife, could we name, could we name the baby justice out of tribute to the work that we have to do and the hopes that we have of realizing it? Because I, I want justice to mean something in her lifetime. And, you know, when you, when you have, you have great loss and we've lost a lot, you know, uh, not just in the last year, not just with what, what happened with Brianna and, and, and I always say when her door was busted down, all of our doors were busted down. But even before that, honestly, we, we've been losing a lot for a long time. I just lost my grandfather a couple of weeks ago. And I come from a, a background in, in the church. Both my parents are ministers. My mom's an assistant pastor. Now you all probably heard me preaching on the house floor a time or two. And, you know, one thing that I know is in those times of great loss, you will also see those opportunities and those moments of new birth and, and, and new life and new opportunity and new hope. And, and that's what this, this baby represented to me, that we would give birth to something new out of the pain and challenges of this movement. I gave y'all that context. Just, I always love giving folks understand why I show up, why I'm here. I have my hoodie on. I, I would love to make sure y'all get some hoodies and some shirts. I want to talk to you about Hood to the Holler and make sure we have some time, you know, any questions or thoughts, encouragements, prayer suggestions you might have. Hood to the Holler is really my response and, and my life's dedication to everything I was just saying before that. You know, how do we how do we realize justice in, in a real way? How do we make it mean something? How do we address the challenges, the structural challenges that plague us here and, and you know my my hood West End and, and, and Louisville, the, the Commonwealth in our country and, and beyond that? How do we address the structural challenges? And what I firmly believe is that the way we address our structural challenges is by building the coalitions, by bringing folks together on this common bond and, and this common fight we have for our future so that we can activate our collective power and we can lead for the change we want. And I often compare it to the, the analogy of, of the you know, metaphor that uh, if you have a little bit of faith besides a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain and the mountain has to move. And, you know, if if we come together, we are more the conquerors, we can do all things. And so that really is why I got into politics. I I, I don't come from this stuff. I, I, I went, I wanted to run for state legislature because I just really believed with everything in me that communities like mine in the West End that get ignored in, in places like in Frankfurt, that the, our stories are so similar to the challenges in rural parts of Kentucky, that if we had folks that could lift that truth up and break through these divides, that we could change things. We could change policies. We could make differences in, in our budgetary allocation so that you know communities that are, are being left behind and struggling could have the, the supports and resources like any other community. It was very obvious to me. And I was director of Fish and Wildlife, and I worked all over Kentucky. So you know, if you know much about the department, there are not a 
lot of black people in the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And I was directed, you know, and I'm, I'm from the West End, I'm 35th Market, you know, and so I'm going into these spaces where I'm the only person that looks like me. And I would talk to them the way I want somebody to talk to me when they would come to our neighborhood association meeting or come sit down with us. I would listen and then I would tell them the truth about who I am so they knew who they were dealing with. Every single time, never fail, we would realize how much we have in common, you know, and and I just realized then that that was a building block. And so when I ran for U.S. Senate, I told you about my parents being ministers. I wanted to do things that told this story about how we're actually in the fight together. And that's where Hood to the Holler came from. Because when I was traveling to Appalachia and, and you know, going uh, up in the hollers, and meeting with folks and realizing that we're fighting the same battles. I had to ration my insulin as a type one diabetic. A lot of folks have had to do that. That wasn't just a struggle on 35th in the market, you know, and, and by showing that truth, we were able to declare that together, we're going to fight to change these things, you know, and it, and it grew into something big. As you all know, I didn't win the primary, but what we won was so much bigger because we inspired folks that had never given politics a chance. We're in the height of the, the movement. Everyone is in the streets crying out for justice. And the question is, what do we do so we don't have to keep crying out in the streets? You know, it's it's important to do, but how do we make sure our cries are actually being heard? And so after the primary, I had all these folks inspired across Kentucky, thousands of folks, because we were training people to be organizers and to lead aspects of, you know, field and the campaign themselves, because we couldn't afford to pay for a big campaign staff. And also people power is the only thing that matters to me. And so we were training folks to, to lead themselves and they and they did it. And so in the summer, folks were hitting me up out from all over Kentucky. Like, Charles, we can't stop. You know, you, you, you all were training us on how to, you know, talk to our networks, our church, you know, our youth group, our neighbors, our friends on social media. Like, we, we need to keep doing that stuff. We need to keep building. And I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't. There, there wasn't really an hour that passed without someone from around Kentucky or here in, in the city that would reach out to me, ask me to keep going. And so I said, OK, we will. And I launched this organization to do four key things that are all rooted towards this ultimate goal I have of ending generational poverty and pulling up the roots of structural racism. Everywhere I go, everything I talk about, that's why I'm talking about it. And that's pretty much where I'm going to be until we get there. And, you know, and if it's not, that's a continual thing. But I'm going to do all I can to the days I'm the days I have on this earth uh, to fight for that. We do four core things to meet that goal. We're focused on breaking down barriers to democracy. And, you know, that is really important here in Kentucky. Now, this is a statewide organization, but it's also a national organization. So the work we're doing here in Kentucky, we are also partnering with folks across the country to do as well, which I can tell you about. It's really exciting stuff. I, I had a really powerful conversation with Stacey Abrams about this, too. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. So breaking out barriers to democracy, that's dealing with voter disenfranchisement. The fact that Kentucky's been one of the most disenfranchised states in the country. Helping more people not only get registered, but understand the power of the democratic process. Like, what do elected offices even mean? I was a state representative. What am I supposed to do for you? You know, a lot of folks don't even know what a state representative does. And we paying for these folks, you know, and so helping to give that information and, and bring it down to real terms for folks. And so we have launched a voter registration uh, campaign. Uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago um, and we're doing this statewide. And so we've been building voter registration teams. We use a model of relational organizing and, a, and it's a distributed model. And so basically what we want to do is pull resources together and then essentially give them to folks wherever they are 
on the ground across Kentucky to carry out the work that they believe needs to be done towards this ultimate goal of having more folks involved in the democratic process, more folks registered, updating the registration, more folks educated on the democratic process, being a citizen lobbyist, uh, for instance. And so we've trained and engaged over 12,000 Kentuckians in the past since about October on this work. And, you know, it's a pandemic, you know, so you can't see and feel everything the same. And it's even weird to, you know, be looking into a into my phone talking to you all, I wish I was with you. But I'm telling you, and, and you all know this, whether or not you've seen it in all the news, there are folks in our community, there are folks across Kentucky that are ready to do this big work. And so we've been training folks on how to use apps like Reach. This is what they use in Georgia in the runoff. I use it in my primary when I was running um, as well. And I can tell y'all more about that. I'd love to partner with you on doing the training for your network and folks that you all might be connected to. And our aim is to register and engage 100,000 Kentuckians and, and over the next three years, just really grow that into something that just happens all the time. Because typically voter registration and engagement only happens when it's time to vote. That's the only time politicians typically show up is when it's time to vote. And we need to do much more than that to make democracy mean something. So that's one thing. We're doing intensive leadership development and, and capacity building for folks. You know, I, I mentioned in my life story, I, I come from the struggle. You know, I, I was on food stamps for free lunch. You know, there were times me and my mom didn't have a place to stay. You know, I, I, I deal with a lot of trauma that we talk about often. I've had five cousins murdered since 2016. All of this really is a fight for survival for me. And, and I want to help more folks, more regular people, more folks that are marginalized and, and ignored to be able to lift their voices in leadership. Elected office, boards, commissions, neighborhood associations. I want to help folks have the tools uh, to lead in, in every space they show up in, organizations. And so we partnered with a national entity organization called ARENA. Some of y'all may, may have heard about this, that we've been doing this. So ARENA has these political academies. They do these nationally. They never come to Kentucky. You know, they, they are focused on areas that are lifting up a, a progressive message of a structural change. And you know, a lot of folks don't give us a chance here in Kentucky. Uh, they count us out. But after seeing what I did in my primary, folks like Arena reached out and said, how can we help? And so we agreed to work together to, to create a training module for folks across Kentucky and, and communities like mine and all, and all over the Commonwealth. We did our first training in March. It was a five-day training. And, and it's, it's pretty costly to participate in, you know, because they do this for like presidential campaigns and, and you know, these statewide races and stuff like that, we were able to provide for free folks, you know, fundraising the money to do it for free. And we had 280 folks in our first training, five-day training. And, and again, these are folks that, that aren't typically in the political process. I mean, there were some folks that have been involved, but it went all the way down the, the line to folks that had never done anything political. And we tailored the trainings for their interest. And, you know, after having thousands of applications and the response was just really incredible, Folks were fired up and excited that somebody was finally paying attention and giving them a chance to leave. We just finished our second training. Like it was so big, we had to do another one. So last weekend, this past weekend, we had a two-day over the weekend training on, you know, how do you run for office? Um, how do you build a finance plan? How, how do you become a digital organizer? You know, how do you use social media? You know, how do you communicate across divides? And that's what Vincent Holler ultimately is about. How do you communicate across divides and really just dismantle those divisions? And so we're going to keep doing that type of work. Um, the other thing that we're doing is intensive networking. 
We have done and will continue to do surveys across Kentucky and partner with organizations. Uh, that's why I'm glad to be connected with, with you all that are doing great work to see how we can work together to lift up our common bonds, to leverage, you know, our, our unique gifts. So that means connecting with, you know, folks like Romeo Bradley, who is uh, with App Harvest, tell the story about how food insecurity and lack of access is something that is not only uh, a challenge in urban areas, but it's a challenge in rural areas as well. And so we're trying to create this infrastructure of folks that can be more connected, you know, with all the organizations, Kentucky's for the Commonwealth, People's Campaign, things like that. And then the last thing that that we're doing, which is like the most important part to me, the part that I call the new Southern strategy, is this really intensive storytelling, you know, using creativity, using expression. It requires me to do a whole lot of interviews and working with, you know, university, like University of Louisville, different institutions to lift up how we can talk about issues in a way that brings more people together because you know in our politics we have these wedges and y'all know them well there are wedges in, in the issues that we deal with that keep folks divided and it's it's weaponized really bad now but it's been going on for a while and how do we unpack those divisions to make it clear that we're actually not really as divided as you know our political arena would like us to think and our politicians would want us to be um, and so that is, again, like one of the biggest parts of our work. We had a, a virtual music festival in October, you know, before the general election to talk about the importance of lifting our voices in the democratic process. And we used different mediums, you know, in different styles of music to do that. So we had, you know, folks from Appalachia, you know, we had folks from, you know, that you know, do country, bluegrass, hip hop, gospel. And every, everyone was using their, their gifts of music to talk about how we're connected and how we need to be working together in this fight for democracy. And so, so that really is what Hood to the Holler is all about. And the part that excites me most, you all probably heard uh, some news about what I announced a couple of days ago. And I know we can have a separate conversation about that, but it really is, this is a time I believe as hard as things are for us here and, and, you know, and everywhere, I believe we're at an inflection point. I, I feel it in the city and I've seen it all over Kentucky. We're at this place where we, we're starting to realize more how connected we are. You know, I think the pandemic has helped with that. People are seeing more of the struggles up close. I think social media, with all of its flaws and, and problems, has helped with that too. It's it's allowing people to see in real time some of the things that we've been talking about for generations that folks weren't, weren't hearing. And so we have this chance. We have the chance to come together like we have in generations and build a new future. Or we can succumb to our fears and fall in our corners and essentially throw our hands up. I'm not going to do that latter one. You know, I, I'm committed to this work long term, and I know you all are too. And so I'm proud of Kentucky in spite of what we hear nationally and in spite of the difficulties that we face, I'm proud of so many Kentuckians that are still fighting for better and to, to build themselves as leaders and to build relationships and to show up for one another. Um, when the flooding hit in East Kentucky, we put out a call with Hood to the Holler to say, will you help us do check-in calls so that we can check in on our loved ones and make sure they're okay. And if, if they're having trouble, we connect them to resources, have emergency uh, response to come tend to them. So we made tens of thousands of calls. And then we put out a call to say, okay, some folks are going to have their power out, you know, for a couple of weeks, if not longer. 
they're going to need some food. You know, they're going to need some help. And, and in one day, we raised $20,000 to send out. And, and so we continue to do things like that when, you know, when protesting things have been happening, we will raise money for, for bail relief. You know, so it gives us a chance to show up in a lot of ways to tell the story about how we're together. And the website is hoodtotheholler.org. And on social media, all the platforms is Hood to the Holler. You can follow there. But I'd really love to connect with you. Um, we do digital organizer trainings every week. Uh, we'll train anybody on just how to use, you know, what's at our disposal, our, this technology, to reach more people, you know, to inform them, to, to do calls to action. We organized around Brianna's Law during this session, and we had we put out a call for folks. We trained folks on how to, to do letters to the editor in their districts, in their, you know, in their counties. We were training folks on how to talk to legislators, I mean, how to go before a committee, how to email legislators. We had on one Sunday, we put a call out and had like 5,000 folks send emails to every member of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees talking about why we need to keep folks safe in their homes and, and support an end to no-knock warrants. And, and of course, you all saw that by the end of the session, uh, the president of the Senate moved a, a bill forward to limit no-knock warrants. And as much as I criticized him, and that bill doesn't go as far as we need it to, even that limit on no-knock warrants would not have happened if folks across Kentucky didn't lift their voices up. And I'm, I'm proud that Hood to the Hollow was one of those partners to help our voices. So I can stop there because I can talk on and on about this stuff. But uh, the short of it is I'm connected with you in this work. I'm proud to be by your side. And if there's ways that we can be helpful and we can connect and lift up things that you're doing, whether we can help tell the story of the work that you're doing or or just partner in some sort of way, I'd love to. Um, but thank you all for letting me join you for lunch. Charles, thank you. We have a Q&A period that's uh, coming now. And what I'd like to ask, if any, there were a couple of uh, questions that I missed. So if you could just uh, re-put those in the chat so that, you know, you're not left out. But here's one from Wallace Muller. And, and let me just make this misnomer. The Fellowship of Reconciliation, Source of Justice, and the Third Thursday Lunch does not endorse any political candidates. We're 501c3, and we do not endorse. The question now from Wallace Muller, McMuller is, are you hearing from senior Democratic Party officials that you should restrain your message? AOC got a good response when she raised money for relief in Texas after the power blackout. Do you think that sort of effort is a model you want to copy? Well, first, and I should have mentioned this from the beginning, you know, Hood to the Holler is a 501c4. And so we, we don't engage in uh, partisan uh, politics as well. You know, and, and that's really important to me because this work is bigger than than politics. You know, it's bigger than partisan divides, for, uh, to be more specific, because to me, there really isn't an aisle. You know, we're actually all in this together, whether we know it or not, you know? And, but as it comes to Democratic leadership specifically, I've had a lot of conversations with folks from all the way up to the governor about the value of this type of network and this type of focus. You know, during the pandemic, there was increased access to, to health care and, and make sure folks know about the vaccine. And so we were able to activate, you know, the, a network of, of volunteers that we were training to help spread the word about stuff like that and use this relational model to, 
to get that word to more people. I mean, we've hosted events, you know, to help lift up, you know, different pieces of information and, and break through myths and, and just make sure folks are informed. So we do things like that. But to the point of what happened in Texas and, and the model that folks like Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez have lifted up, I mean, I, I think it really just speaks to community, you know, and, and how we show up for one another, you know. So that's that's something that has is tried and true, you know, throughout our history. You know, we we look out for one another. We, we build together. And I come from a really big family. So I was taught community from an early age. So I didn't have a choice. I'm like, I'm one of over 70 grandkids. Um, so I had to, I had to work with everybody on everything, you know. And so I, I think the model of showing community, you know, to have folks from the Westing of Louisville connected with folks in Appalachia to say that we're here for you, we're here with you. And then to have folks in Western Kentucky connected with, you know, folks in, in, in urban areas in, in Lexington and, you know, and in Bowling Green saying that we're standing together. I mean, ultimately, we're doing the work of trying to build community across Kentucky so that if something happens to us here in Louisville, in the West End, for instance, for me, that it's not just siloed. You know, we making sure the public education is fully and equitably funded. We don't just need that in the West and the world. We, we need it all over the city, but we need it all over Kentucky. And so I think it's just, it is a model that, and I'm excited that the Democratic Party in particular um, has been responsive to, to acknowledge that we're doing the type of work that should have been done a long time ago. And, uh, you know, whether you're Republican, independent, you know, whatever your, your political leaning, we're all trying to fight for a better future, at least the majority of us. So we need to be working together. Okay, um, next one is from Justin Mock. Does Hood to the Holler have any focus on encouraging more women to get into politics? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, and honestly, the model of how we want to do our trainings, um, which we just started, so we just did our second one, like I mentioned, we're gonna keep doing these throughout the year and you know, and build this over the next three years. We have a three-year plan on that. I got a lot of this from, from Emerge. I, uh, one of my mentors, um, my former boss, uh, was one of the women that helped start Emerge here in Kentucky. And, you know, we really want to be intentional on lifting up the voices of women in leadership in elected office, but also, like I mentioned before, boards, commissions, organizations. And so we're definitely being intentional now already on um, training, um, like, women uh, groups, a lot of Greek organizations, sororities, on how to activate their, their networks. Um, and so we're giving these tools away. I'm raising money for the org, but we're really just giving the tools away. Like this reach app that, um, you know, that is now being available to organizations. It was a political tool, but now organizations can use it. We're training organizations and, and all different types of groups on it to where they can just take it and go. And so if you have some suggestions, if you know some folks got any ideas, please let's connect so we can keep building on that. I have... Um... I'm an Emerge alum, so uh, I understand that well. Also, Luther Brown recently passed, and I don't know, uh, well, I see that you do know that. And uh, Luther started Little Hands, Little Feet as a result of his grandson dying as a result of uh, a gunshot. Does Hood to the Holler have any 
idea or uh, any desire or to keep little hands and little feet going as a result. I don't know if someone else is going to do it or not, but Luther was very adamant about little hands and little feet and the gun locks. Yeah, I, well, first of all, I, I'm grateful for Mr. Brown. I, I've, I've had a lot of conversation. He, he told me that story, and I told him about my cousins. Um, and, you know, we were on panels together. Uh, you know, we, we had joined together to do a lot of different events. And, you know, he went all over the community to try to make sure folks had these locks. And, you know, I hadn't really had time to digest our loss of, of, of him. But asking that question, I, I definitely think that's something that we can help support. And I think what's powerful is, you know, when I would talk to, to Mr. Brown and, you know, he was making it clear that he wasn't trying to get into the debate about the Second Amendment. And, it, you know, it was like, look, that's that's a different conversation than what I'm having. I'm trying to talk about how we keep folks safe that have those firearms. So, you know, and, and it's a way to bring people together because in Kentucky, you know, the issue of guns is a wedge. And, you know, as soon as the issue comes up and they'll say, okay, well, you, you want to take guns away, you know, and you, and, and then folks stop listening. But he, he found a way to cut through that and say, look, whether you have a firearm, you should want to have a lock on it so that your little one stays safe. And so I would love to see how we can help lift that up and, and support keeping that going. That's, that's a great suggestion. Uh, someone had a question about reallocating the money in the police budget. I didn't have an opportunity to get the name of the person, but they were speaking about police protection really not extending beyond the middle class white community. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's very obviously true. You know, um, I, I work with an organization called Cities United, and, you know, we've we were talking about how gun violence, especially towards black and brown men and boys, is a public health crisis um, that requires comprehensive response, um, including our budgetary allocations in our cities. And, you know, Louisville was holding out early to be one of those model cities. And we ain't there. You know, I, the way I've been phrasing it is we need to fully fund public and community safety. And so it's not about saying that we want to be less safe. It's actually, it's the complete opposite. It's saying we actually want to be safe. And the way that we do that is by actually investing in the resources that people need and not telling an armed officer to put on military gear and go address a rolling stop or go address someone who's unhoused and, and laying on the sidewalk. And, and I think that's something that we can all understand. Now it's a matter of getting past the political discourse and actually doing the work. And so... You know, I was disappointed that in the city budget process, and I know I've worked in Metro Council, I've worked in mayor's office. I know that process, how it, how it starts early in the year. But what the city was going through was so significant that there was an opportunity to say, okay, let's make a statement here of, about what our future is going to be. And let's reallocate more resources into these more broader direct response issues so that what happened to Brianna doesn't happen again. And, and we can actually get to why communities are criminalized. We have a, a, not just a mass incarceration problem in our country, but certainly in Kentucky. But we have a mass criminalization uh, problem. I, you know, I talk about uh, the new Jim Crow a lot uh, with Michelle Alexander's book. Um, I definitely encourage y'all to, to read that. But uh, I do agree that there needs to be a more intentional allocation of resources 
and and ultimately it'll protect you know the people that put on the uniform to earnestly service too you know and not instead of asking them if you talk to officers they'll tell you they're they are asked to do everything and they're not even trained for it or or are they equipped for it so it's really about being responsive to needs of everybody okay uh from larry Howe, and uh larry i don't see the the last part of your name, I apologize. And Carl, I'm going to get to you too. Somehow the first comments on the chat were missed, and I, we apologize for that. The reference was to comment on Rand Paul on the message, defund the police. This is misunderstood, and even Larry is not sure what we mean for the sake of justice, racial racial justice, and demilitarization of the police departments. Can yeah. you talk to that? Yeah, you, well, you know throughout history how um, messaging gets used to, to quell movements, especially for justice, especially if you're pushing for racial justice. And so, you know, the language now is defunding the police, but it could have been anything else. I mean, whenever you're trying to push for real structural change, especially when it comes to equity related to structural racism. Those that are against that are those that profit from things staying the way they are, are gonna to try to find a way to sow division and to sow fear and to flip it on its ear. So, you know, I, I've honestly, I've stepped back and said, look, what are we actually trying to do? When, when folks are saying defund the police, what are they actually saying? And for me, I'm actually trying to say, we need to fully fund public safety because putting more and more money into policing alone is not doing it. And, and, and I, I, there's no way to dispute that fact. We, we should fully fund public safety. We should fully fund community safety. That means that we're addressing the lack of economic opportunities. We're addressing the lack of access to health care. We're addressing the crumbling infrastructure. You know, you have an area the size of, of the Western Louisville, roughly the size of Owensboro, that, you know, has hardly any place to sit down and eat. It's hard to get access to healthy food. Transportation, if you're taking, you know, the bus to go to the East End, you know, that's a full day endeavor. All of these things speak to how our challenges spill out into into the streets and and how acts of, of violence and, and disruption happen. And so we can't ignore the deeper stuff and just tell folks, well, stop, you know, stop being bad. And when we're saying we want to be intentional with our tax dollars because we want everyone to be safe. That, that's that's all we're saying. We want everyone to be safe. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to taking on that that inflamed, really false misnomer about what, what we're actually trying to accomplish as a community. Okay, the next uh, question is from Carl Rattan. Wedge issues like abortion and sexual issues have divided us. How do you think the division can be overcome when these issues hang over us? Yeah, that well, that to me, that last that's the last part of foot to the holler. That that four pronged approach is how do you talk about issues in a way to bring people together? And one thing you, we got to meet people where they are, and we got to sort of understand some realities of where we are in, in our in our differences. And so I always start by saying. I don't do what I do to ask anyone to root me on everything. Like, that's not even realistic. But what we do instead is lift up lift up more dynamics to the conversation, you know, and talk about our common bonds. And so, you know, when we have folks in politics that only want to say, look at abortion and, and have a narrow conversation about it, instead of talking about 
health care, family care, taking care of our children, uh, make sure that our families are safe. I mean, those are the themes that get lifted up when a lot of folks are talking about abortion in a way that really ignores the agency of women. And so part of it is called showing up and telling that truth. Like, if we're really trying to protect our families, I got another baby on the way. We should be making sure that we have maternal health care and that we address the inequity in our health care system that means that more black women are suffering from miscarriages and losing their lives because we're not taking care of them properly. If we really want to keep our children and our families safe, we make sure that once they're born, they have food, they have shelter, they have the families have money in their pocket. If we really want to do that work. And then, you know, having that tough conversation and not going away. I've worked with a lot of colleagues in the state house that vote differently than me on a lot of things, explaining, you know, on issues of protecting the right of women to make decisions over their bodies. And also we have to understand the historical context of why we are at this point. But when you when you when you speak from your position, you have clarity in it, but I, I still love you. I deeply disagree with the idea that women can't make decisions over their bodies. And I'm going to push for what I believe every time I show up. You disagree with me, I'll love you anyhow. But I'm not going to let you get away with knowing that I believe that women should be able to make decisions over their bodies. And, and I understand our history of why we're here with that. And, you know, I, honestly, when you go back to these core values of protecting family, fighting for home, loving one another, working in community, it, it's really overwhelming. You know, and I've, I, I've seen folks that voted for Trump, you know, all over the political spectrum. Folks that didn't vote, folks that vote, voted, you know, for Bernie Sanders, you know, Biden, Trump, all organizing with us because those common bonds cut through that stuff. And so we just have to be willing to, to lean into it, you know, and not just concede the narrative. And it, it's not easy because we don't do it often. But once you do it, you're like, oh, well, that was pretty obvious, you know, and you're not going to get everyone to come to the table. But I think we'll get the majority of folks. Uh, the next question is from Jim Johnson. He says his radio program, Solutions to Violence, recently interviewed state legislator Pam Stevenson. She supports the Citizens Commission for the purpose of redrawing political boundaries. Currently, district boundaries are done by state legislators behind closed doors. Do you support a citizens commission that would guide the redrawing of political boundaries? I do. I do. And I, I was a co-sponsor on that uh, legislation in the previous session. Um, we have to get the politics out of that process. And, you know, and having a commission that is not, not worried about winning an election and make sure that our maps are equitable. And, and representative of the people is really important. So absolutely. Next question from James Flynn. What are your efforts to speak to immigrants? Um, that That is another aspect of like that, that fourth prong. That's why it's so important to me is how do we speak across divides? The biggest way we do that is we lift up the voices of, of folks. Like we, it's, so it's not me speaking for anyone. It's, it's me helping to magnify their voices um, and, and give them the tools to do it themselves. And so, you know, with everything that we're doing, you know, we are definitely targeting, you know, uh, immigrant communities, not only in Louisville, but across Kentucky and trying to, um, to build a big network of resource sharing and, uh, and again, relational organizing to where they can take the tools that, that we're giving out and, and tailor them to 
you know, to their needs. That, to me, is the most important way. With any community, lift our voices up and listen to them. And when we do it, you know, they're, they're fighting for the same things. You know, and, and I mean, there are differences in terms of unique lived experience, but the core aspects of what we're fighting for, they're just so much more in common. And so I'm, I'm really excited, you know, working with uh, like Lacasita and, um, and uh, Karina, like to help tell that story and provide more resources to folks. So again, I, whoever asked that uh, question, if you have um, ideas or suggestions or want to partner in any way, uh, please let's connect. Um, next question is uh, for me. Years ago, years, years, years ago, when on election day, people were given extra time off from work to go vote. And this didn't matter where you were. I think it was just uh, maybe the law of the land in this community. Do you think we'll ever get back to that again? Where, you know, because you've got way more people than we had back then. More people are registered to vote. And this is for everybody on both sides of the aisle and in between. Right. Do you think that we can get together and do something like that again? I, I do. And I, I, I believe, I'm really confident we will. It's going to be hard, you know, because as we see across the country, there is this framing of election integrity that is really just, you know, more aggressive voter suppression. But I, I think the truth, again, we're in this moment in time where I think people are just much more aware. I mean, you look at what even happened in Georgia with that legislation that was passed to make it harder for folks um, and, and discourage folks from, from voting. I mean, in to essentially say that the state is going to be able to usurp what the counties are doing to manage the election process if they feel like it's done wrong and and, and, and redo it. And and you all probably heard about, you know, the legislation where it denies folks from being able to pass out water and food if they're in lines that are so long because, you know, we've created these long lines. And then the response, the immediate response from, you know, big corporations, national partners, and even here in Kentucky, you know, we got a long way to go. Kentucky is still one of the most disenfranchised states in the country. But this recent legislation that expands in-person voting, I mean, three days, come on, three days, but three days is a good step. And, you know, and enhancing online tools, you know, and make sure folks can, you know, cure uh, their ballots, things like that. We're, we're taking steps in the right direction. You know, uh, HR1 at, at the, uh, the federal level, I believe that's a really good chance that it moves forward, certainly to pass the House. And, you know, I think the momentum to amend the, the filibusters so that they, that folks like Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell can't block it in the Senate are growing and growing. But it's going to take us to continue organizing. And that, and that is something that Hudson Holler is, is uh, working to do as well, to do calls of action. Uh, so we will be doing those around supporting the right to vote, expanding access to the ballot box. That includes making Election Day a holiday. That includes, you know, mail-in voting, you know, and, and of course, early voting, automatic registration. I mean, it's obvious what we need to do. And history shows if we come together and push, we can get there. So I believe we will. Next question from Kimberly Boyd Lane. Uh, Charles, I want to thank you for all of your work to unify our communities. What have been some of your major challenges in this effort? I, you know what? The only challenge that that we really see is that the work is so great. I, I realize I can only do my part and I just gotta commit to doing my part. And when I put this message out, you know, in my Senate run in particular, cause that's when like the broader Commonwealth got a chance to really 
getting out there, who's this young black guy from, from the West End a little bit, you know? And, and we started to break that message through. I had to convince allies that this work is possible. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I still do, you know, because in Louisville, but also in Kentucky, when we've been through so much for so long, a lot of people have just really lost hope. And trying to, you know, give folks inspiration to believe we can do things differently is a part of the work, but it's happening. So I can't really say that, you know, it's, it is a challenge, but we're meeting it. And I have a really big idea on how we can take that to the next level. Well, um, Judy Lippman says, clear, genuine concern for all. Ideas, tools to advance togetherness and good for all. Thank you so much. Charles, how can people learn more or get in touch with Hood to the Holler if, um, you know, if they so desire? Yes, ma'am. I, well, I'm, I'm asking you to. I would like for us to be a resource and a support, a cheerleader for whatever you're doing. Um, if you have ideas of things you'd like to do, I'd like to work with you to help do it. We're actually updating our website now. I haven't checked today, but it might even be done today. We're putting a whole catalog of resources on the website that talk about different ways to strengthen your organization, run for office, engage on social media, use apps to, to communicate with more people. So we're going to keep putting those types of things up uh, for you. And, and we're doing a handbook on elected offices, like what they do, how they are connected to perpetuating and or ending poverty, like giving some some context to to, uh, to those types of things. So you can go to hoodtotheholler.org. So T-O-T-H-E, so spelled out hoodtotheholler.org. And then follow us on social media um, at hoodtotheholler. And if you want to connect with me directly, beyond sending messages on all those platforms, because I get so many messages, um, but you can reach out to me directly at cb at hoodtotheholler.org. So that's my email. And um, I, I check that all the time, and I have folks around me to help me check that, too. So uh, please, let's connect. Thank you so much for enlightening us with uh, what's going on with Hood to the Holler. And Carl, or um, any of the um, Third Thursday Luncheon folks, if you have anything to say, now's the time. And uh, thank you so much, Charles. Yes, ma'am, always. Thank you. I just want to, again, also to say uh, thank you all for participating. Thank you, Charles Booker, for being with us and for your great vision of bringing people together. Beverly, did you want to repeat about the announce about next year? Hello, everybody. Please join us again at our next third Thursday lunch, September 16th, 2021. Remember, we are going to make decisions in August as to whether or not we're going to be Zooming our program in the fall or whether we're going to be gathering for lunch side by side and face to face. But mark September 16th on your calendars and watch your emails uh, announcements for for whether you're going to be watching us on a computer screen or whether you're going to be having lunch at Hotel Louisville and listening to our speaker in person on September the 16th. Okay, I think that concludes our third Thursday lunch for this uh, spring season, and we hope to see you all in the fall. Charlene, I'll call you too. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you all. You have a good rest of the day. Okay, signing out. Listeners, we're out of time. Our guest today has been former Kentucky State Legislature and now candidate for the U.S. Senate, 
Charles Booker. Before we leave you today, we would like to invite anyone who may also be running for the U.S. Senate from the state of Kentucky in 2022 to appear on our program as well. To contact us, visit us at solutionsforviolence18 at gmail.com. The virtual Third Thursday lunch event has been sponsored by the Louisville Soars of Justice and the Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation. The Solutions of Violence program that features Charles Booker will be repeated Tuesday, April 20th at 8 a.m. and Wednesday, April 21st at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream by visiting our website at forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live Now. This Solutions of Violence program featuring Charles Booker will be placed in our archives Wednesday, April 21st. To listen via our archives, just visit our website at forwardradio.org, scroll down to Program Archives, and then scroll down to the Solutions to Balance program that features Charles Booker and the Third Thursday Lunch. For more information and a schedule of programming that will surprise, delight you, and may even challenge you, visit us at forwardradio.org and click on Broadcast Schedule. Please respond to us with your thoughts and suggestions by visiting us at solutionsofbalance18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to thank videographer and Shakespearean actor, Rory Streeter, for his technical support.
For Solutions to Violence, I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan. And our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. Thanks for listening.